everyone. We're going to be talking today about NYC's kinky scene and making media in the city that never sleeps. I'm your host, Abigail Div, founder of the Sex Lab, an experimental media lab exploring sexuality. In today's interview, we'll explore the following. Who are the pro-dominant counselors that make up two members slash founders of Kink Collective? What does people before kink mean? Parties picking up? How does Kink Collective imagery stand out? And lastly, how does the maximum and background contribute to a new documentary series documenting individual journey through kink? With me today to talk about their work as founders of King Collective, event organizers, media makers are Kat and Joshua. Welcome, Kat and Joshua. Hi, Hi. thank you so Hi, much welcome. for having us. Thank you. Oh, it's my absolute pleasure. And welcome to the Sex Labs podcast. Now, as founders of King Collective, you both come with a history of work in the kink and fetish community. Uh, specifically in New York City, you've been involved in many facets of education and the nightlife scene. Uh, Joshua, you come with 10 years of experience as a pro-dom. And Kat, you're an event organizer and counselor and are also studying non-denominational ministry. What are the origins, though, of King Collective? How did it come to be? Uh, Joshua and I uh, put our forces together uh, probably three and a half years ago. Uh, he came from a background that had his, his ideas were incorporated under a certain umbrella and then that went away. So we sat together and looked at what were we doing? What, what did we believe in? What were we trying to teach people and how did we wanna organize? And so the phrase kink collective came up because we, we are sort of a collective of kinksters. We're now a leather family. And that was the phrase that, that came up to sort of capture what it was we were about and becoming. Yeah, now in terms of the the origin story of King Collective, it's now three years old uh, and you have a physical space based in New York City, specifically in Harlem. What happens there? So in our spaces where we uh, develop and we create, uh, we do media production in our space and uh, I do pro sessions. Uh, and by pro sessions, I mean professional domination sessions. Um, sometimes we capture the sessions, depending on if the client is looking to uh, develop their own catalog of imagery through their own experiences, which either myself or Kat capture. Um, and we, we brainstorm a lot, right? We are trying to figure out how our organization is going to evolve. So it's an experimental space uh, where it's multifunctional, multimedia, of course, as well. Uh, so let's get into it then and talk more about the more recent projects that you're involved with. Uh, you provide a range of services, as you were saying, um, and experiences uh, both in your physical space, uh, in hosted spaces, and you also travel. So let's break down what you've done, what you're doing, and what you plan on doing in the future, as there's a lot of that uh, <laughs> pre, post, and current uh, scenarios that we're running. Uh, what services do you provide? Uh, you do in-person experiences, correct? Correct. So what we'll do is we'll start from the top down and uh, we'll, I'll start in my, with myself individually and then I'll turn it over to Kat and then we'll talk about how it all comes together. So I do professional domination and I've been doing it for a number of years. The process and the connection that I've been able to establish with my clients is nothing short of beautiful when you're capturing it through media, right? When I see it, it's beautiful. So my desire to capture it started many years ago where I would ask the clients if I can photograph during the session, because I want people to see the beauty and the intimacy in these engagements that are beyond the aesthetics of a, the way a person looks, 
but more of the way a person responds emotionally, right? So we're trying to capture the essence of what connection is. Now, that has progressed from photography to a documentary series that we're, we're creating called People Before Kink. And the idea behind the documentary series is to allow the viewer to connect with what it is they're seeing, right? By really breaking down what happens in these sessions down to the emotional level and what it is we're looking to connect with the person we're engaging with. The modality of video allows the viewer to really grasp what the person is experiencing in turn, allowing them to be in those shoes for that hour and a half that the initial episode uh, is. It's very powerful and it's very impactful. And to normalize the lifestyle and to make it accessible to those who have only the ability to think about it is one of our target goals. Kat has in turn found her photography bug on a whim, like, and it was really incredible. <laughs> if you want to share that story. Sure. I, if you look at my phone, if you look at my, I know nothing about photography, nor have I had an interest in it. Um, but we've been involved with this family and uh, as we've said for a while. And so I was watching Joshua with uh, one of our family members. Uh, they were engaged in a very small scene, but as I sat, I saw it, I was like, wow, this looks like a picture. And I got a camera tossed to me on a tripod and I started taking pictures. And then one thing led to the next. And then there was more uh, leather involved in position. And get, the next thing you know, it was a full blown photo shoot. Uh, my first one ever, completely done seat of the pants. And from what everyone has reported to me, the pictures came out great. And I loved it. And that's been about six, I don't know, seven months ago. And uh, I've done a few shoots since then. And it turns out I have an act for it. And I, and I know what I'm looking for. I mean, I've been in the lifestyle for a while. I've been watching scenes and watching people play for a long time. And I do have a particular view. Like I, I see people through their faces. And so there's expressions that get made when people engage so deeply at this level that I like to capture and show people. That's what makes our production different. Uh, um, I, and I'll, I will even say more authentic is that we understand the process that the person is experiencing. So what we're catching are visual cues of expression, right? Because we understand it because we've walked it ourselves. So with what LMB Productions is under, Kink, under the Kink Collective banner is a media group that wants to tell stories. Right? We want to collaborate with people who are interested in expressing themselves and using our lens of experience to help tell their stories, whether it's uh, video, whether it's photography, uh, whether it's stories. We have authors in our, in our family that are putting out books uh, within the next couple of months. I'm super excited for them. Uh, but we want, we want to be able to make accessible media. An interesting and intriguing challenge as uh, a lot of kink and fetish uh, work tends to be enwrapped in the community of people who are doing it um, and making it accessible to a larger audience than those who are immediately involved or in the lifestyle of doing it um, can feel, as you were saying, somewhat inaccessible. So making it accessible to them is an interesting um, challenging uh, proposition that you both have taken on. Um, speaking of the community, there's a representation uh, in New York of every niche uh, that you can imagine. But who are you trying to cater to? So with our philosophy, People Before Kink, the idea is we want to create events where 
we are who we are before we are what we are. Meaning a level of equality where people of all levels of experience, orientations, gender, race, can come into the space with the understanding that we are all curious and we wanna find community that accepts us as we are, right? Because when I first started coming out uh, to events years ago, I identify as a pansexual male, right? And if you look at me, I'm very fair skinned. Uh, I'm a Latino who grew up in New York City and New York has essentially three subcultures. You have the pansexual community, you have the gay community and you have the queer community. The lesbian community can fall under the queer community faster than it would fall under the gay community when it comes to association through event spaces. With that being said, I never fell into one category neatly, right? I'm too straight for the gays, I'm too gay for the straights, and I'm too cishet for the queer community up front. And this was my experience years ago. It really affected me deeply and it hasn't allowed me to, to address it on a community level yet. What it did inspire me to do was to create and host my own events. And the idea behind that was to find and create a space where people can be accepted as they are, regardless of the, the markers that society places on us. When I met Kat, who was hosting her own events in her own space, the philosophy that we both share of equality and connection resonated. So it was almost like destiny for us to meet and to grow and to build as we have with the growth and the expansion of people before kink and the kink collective, creating space for those who are seeking a better understanding of self. And that's the perfect segue into the people before kink as a maxim that underlies much of your works. Uh, where did the, the phraseology come from? Uh, was it from a personal experience, uh, a story, an evolution? It came out the same way that King Collective came out. We, we, we spent a lot of time sitting and talking. We, you know, as he said, he, uh, my space was already existing. I was already doing events. And without that language, that is the way that I ran all my events, right? That, that we both had this same philosophy of that who we are is way more important than what we do. Or, you know, you run into a lot of these events and people are like, hey, what are you into? And, you know, we both came from this feeling that that that's not the most important thing. Like, you know, what kink you're into or what, you know, what do you want done to you is not nearly as important as who are you? You know, how did you get to be here? Who am I sharing that together? And so the more we talked about it, the, the shorthand people before kink kind of came up and it was kitschy even to us. And so we were like, let's run with it. The, the experiences that we both have though uh, over time is what created that formula. Understanding that again, we are, who we are instead of what we are um, really changes the energy of the space too. If people cannot feel objectified or commoditized and they're there as people, right? They're not just another person to pay at the door, but we make it a habit to meet each person that comes through the door, right? So that they have a familiar face and so that it can feel familiar, right? Because community in my, and for me, there has to be a connection within those around me, even if it's just knowing each other's name, right? But that makes a huge difference than just paying to get into an event and just being present, right? Not knowing anyone around you. It doesn't allow us to drop our walls and to be a little more comfortable 
within our own skin. Because if we can be comfortable in our skin, we can really change the way we communicate and connect with others. Yeah, and certainly having the ability to connect with literally millions of people doesn't make it an easy challenge to overcome in terms of creating personal space and personalized experiences in a city that um, is is known habitually to have turnover and rotation and um, depersonalization, of course, of experiences because you're in the masses of uh, people um, and capturing also certain raw, unadulterated reactions during the sessions that you're creating uh, comes with a level of trust and comfort that you have to build. Uh, it doesn't come inherent in just by the fact that you have a common interest. And it also makes it more conducive also for both working and playing with one another. Um, how do you approach capturing sessions? As you were saying, you do them in your space uh, and Kat and Joshua, you're both photographers in your own right and have your own aesthetics also in mind. So it, we have the same approach to everything. Believe it or not, it's very fundamental. <laughs> Talk to me. Tell me about yourself. Right? If if we want to, if I want to photograph someone, I want to understand who they are. Who is it that I'm capturing in front of? Them? The costumes will always change. They'll always wear one outfit or another, or the it'll be headshots or portraits or fetish photography or or videography. But the important part is the essence of the person that we're capturing. Right? So sit down and talk to us. Tell us about you. And then we share stories and we make ourselves human as well. Not the professional photographer, but Joshua with a camera, right? And if, and if you can be yourself relaxed in front of me with a camera, we're really gonna capture your essence. And the same goes for Kat. She sits and we talk and we create a space where it's okay to be yourself. For me, it's really extra easy because he's such a, a larger than life character to wanna be around that when he's doing the session and I'm doing photography, I had one person actually tell me, you mean she was here? <laughs> we got all the way to the end of the session and he wasn't even aware of the fact that I had been in the room taking pictures the whole time. So that works easy for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That sounds like the they, ultimate objective not to know that the photographer is there. It's fantastic. It's like they get so, with the agreements and the, um, with the agreements prior to shooting, knowing that she's going to be there, my objective is to keep them present with me she is going to witness our experience. Her role is to capture the energy behind. If, when he said, I didn't even know she was taking pictures, that was such a win for both of us because she was like a goosebump. She was able to navigate the entire space without the person even being, remembering that she was there. So his expressions weren't cued. His, his responses were very natural. And the end product is, eroticism, it's intimacy, it's sexy, it's rough, it's raw, um, and it's real. I think that's the ultimate objective. And you've done a beautiful job of not making it as uh, some fashion or editorial photography would be uh, overtly beautifying it, right? You're capturing what you see in front of you, um, not posed, not staged. Um, it's as authentic as you were saying, as the person's response to it can possibly uh, but take me back into uh, actually how you set up shoot storing your session so I have an intake process that requires us to put in at least three to four hours of communication of chatting right getting to know each other so this really knocks down a lot of the walls so I can get an understanding of where you're at and where you're trying to go when the client arrives in the space 
we spend about another 15, 20 minutes checking in and humanizing each other, right? People before King. I, I want to know how you're doing. What's up? How was your week? How are you feeling today? What energy do you have? And, and we really break down our experiences, our emotions, our feelings present so that I have an idea of how we're going to navigate the scene. We set up minimal lighting, maybe one or two uh, strobes and uh, one camera. Uh, this is just for a photo shoot. And Kat's part of that conversation uh, externally. She talks about, or I would talk about, depending if I was taking pictures, what the process is going to be. Uh, drop in a few cues. I may say, hold it right there. And the communication goes between the photographer and the dominant, right? The submissive, we try our best to not engage them in this process so that they're not taken out of the headspace. But these are with visual cues, waving to get the dominant's attention, you know, hand gestures so that we can slow it down or change position so that we can get the best angle possible of what the submissive is expressing. Um, the photographer doesn't engage with the submissive almost at all, depending on, on the agreement and on the depth that they're willing to go. Like we had a photo shoot here two weeks ago that was with five people <laughs> and it lasted about seven hours. And, and throughout that process, I've spoken with them and saying in, in the middle of things, I may reach in, I may move hair out of the way. I may make an adjustment without the intent of disturbing the scene. Right, but really just trying to step in and step out and continue with what this process is. It's, it's like we're trying to like be ninjas at the same time, right? It's, it's really well, cool. One of the things that I like to do when I'm the photographer and he's the one running the session is I start taking pictures before they even start. They are test pictures, but they're just for a sense of like normalizing the idea that what we're gonna do today just involves me like floating around the outside, like snapping, like so that it's not a thing. Right. That sounds like uh, there's a certain give and take in terms of participation versus observation uh, in any given photo shoot. Kat, do you find yourself on a more participatory element to this or more an observational uh, way of viewing the scene? Part of what's happened for me as I fell literally headfirst into this thing about photography is right from the beginning, I'm very caught up in what it is and trying to capture, right? Sometimes I get distracted when the scene is like really hot, really intense, really whatever. I can be like, I can come out of the photographer mode for a second and more into the observer mode. I'm like, no, 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 stay focused. But I don't ever participate in the session because I'm not trying, I'm trying to the best that I can not to impact in any way, you know, kind of like that very light footprint sort of thing so that the, the session really is between him and the person he's working with. And I don't have any sort of a, there's a scientific term I want to use for this, but I can't get it to come to mind, but the idea that the, the observed is not influenced by the observer, right? So my presence is not in any way affecting what's happening, that, that what's happening is what would be happening. And that's the great thing from the standpoint of the, from the viewer would be they're getting to see what this would be like without anyone else being there. It really is like a, a, a half yard, whatever the, the right at the line view of what's happening in a way that you wouldn't ordinarily get to see it. 
Yeah, and it certainly looks like that from the imagery that you are an observer into a scene uh, and capturing a moment as opposed to seeing something in a voyeuristic or exhibitionist way of being either interactive with the person who is observing you or vice versa of the other person observing you without the interaction of the person who is doing the act. Uh, so to speak. Uh, and that's a, a difficult balance to, to hit uh, where, as you were saying, if they don't know that you're shooting them, that I think you've done more than your job uh, <laughs> in terms of capturing a moment uh, as they're yeah. not aware of your presence. Yeah. Well, in terms of your imagery, uh, which you can see on flyers for upcoming events that you're hosting in New York City, uh, how would you distinguish your imagery from others? Uh, how does it distinctive or different uh, from other kink or BDSM scenes or, or captures? I like to think of them as art. Uh, I, and the whole word <laughs> artist, right? It's like, that's one of my like, I, I really- <laughs> when, when, I, when I met him, he would smack you as soon as let you call him an artist. <laughs> but, but there's a beauty in the energy exchange between whoever's in that image that that makes it art right that makes it something you can feel right so it's not just a picture of pretty people dressed up in pretty clothes but sometimes there's pain sometimes there's anguish sometimes there's love uh you can read a mix of emotions regardless of the intensity regardless of what the image is there's a feeling in it that you cannot you can't deny right so uh, I like to, I've learned to like using the word art. I was thinking earlier as we were at the beginning of this conversation about, you know, one of the things that we do, uh, you know, as event promoters and as, as like counselors, for lack of a better word, is uh, engaging with people who are new, engaging with people who have never actually stepped a foot out. You know, they've thought about it. They've, you know, dreamed about it. They've been fearful of it, but they finally come around. A lot of our events, especially now after COVID, have been lots and lots of brand new people, right? And you know that when you're brand new, when you don't have exposure to a community, when you don't know what it's like to be around, what do you have? You have, you know, porn, you have shiny books that are that are, as you said a minute ago, staged people in staged costumes, that kind of thing. And what I like to think that we're doing with this whole line of production is making again accessible to people what what the connection is between the people right the reason why we do this is to make connections and to deepen our connections and i think that's what we capture right like as anybody can put on leather anybody can pick up a toy anybody can stand behind somebody and you know you can do all of those mechanics what you can't manufacture is connection the human component is something that can never be forced or faked um and that or I think, or staged, um, as it will never read the same way visually as if you're mm -hmm. authentically experiencing a moment, unless you're mm -hmm. a really good actor. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> but I think for most people, uh, it comes out the purest and the most authentic because it's real. Uh, and I, and I think what we, we've done in our events is to provide people that experience in real time. And now with the media, what we're, we're having, I feel like we're, we're, trying to create a wider reach so that people who haven't stepped through the door yet have an opportunity to experience connection through media. 
Well, that's a, the perfect uh, lead up to the experiences and the learnings and the interactions that make up um, this eight part series that you're now producing or have produced in our um, in post production and streaming to a larger community. This explores uh, kinks of an individual uh, per episode and is collected into this uh, compilation of live sessions mixed with a documentary element to it. How did you come up with the idea of making a series out of these experiences? Oh man, um, I forget exactly how it came to pass. Um, oh, <laughs> so before COVID I was speaking with a gentleman about some media ideas that he had. And you had stuff coming up on, on, on uh, like Netflix, on Amazon and stuff like that. But this was all scripted story. And I remember Real Sex HBO and I was like, wow, that actually had a big impact on a lot of people in its time. And one of my biggest things about BDSM is if people were to understand what it is and what it isn't, it would be so much it would be received so much greater and normalized so much easier if people can see and understand what's happening beyond what pornography should. We've, we actually captured ourselves on video doing a test uh, session that we uploaded online. I can send you the link, it's on, a, it's on a porn website. But the idea wasn't to capture porn, the idea was to capture the beauty of what a connection looks like. So after we recorded that one, I was like, wow, we should be telling stories, right? So we contacted uh, one of our leather brothers and asked him if he would be willing to. And he's a 60 uh, plus year old gay male uh, from New York. And he has an ex extraordinary, extraordinarily common story, fundamentally foundationally, that if people were to hear him, they could say, wow, I understand and they can, establish some sort of empathy or connection with the person that they're watching. That's what, that's what prompted the, the documentary. I, I wanted to make it accessible to more people on a greater scale. So in terms of the episodes, and you had mentioned just now about uh, queuing the first participant, uh, what is included in every episode? So that was our first episode that we were still uh, in post-production, trying to, to wrap it up. Um, we have seven more stories that we want to tell. The vetting to find the stories is part of the process. What we want to do is we want to highlight a person or a couple. We want to tell their stories and we want them to be described in ways that it affects them personally. How has this lifestyle helped you grow? Right, and that'll be the commonality in all of them. It isn't, what do we do for fun? Right? It's how has it changed your life? Which is the way we both, I, I do a small amount of professional domination as well. And both of us approach clients or people we work with in that same way. It's like, this is not about, you know, hire me to hit you. This is about engage with me so that I can help you grow. Right? It's, it's the whole approach that we have to BDSM and our engagement with ourselves, each other, everyone in our circle. And so this, the documentary series is a natural extension of that. And it's a way of showing people um, in a very meaningful and visceral way what that looks like. Not again, not the actual activity, but what does the connection look like? So the, the interview process is about who is this person that we're about to watch be in a scene? Not what are their kinks, not what, but who are they as a human being? Where do they come from? 
how do they think? How do they feel? What did they do for a living? How did they get to where they are right now? And then come up on. So, and I have this conversation, I've had this conversation a hundred thousand times already. How did you start thinking about this? When was the first time you did it? When was the first time you stepped out? A lot of times the people in front of me, it's their very first time out at an event. How long have you been thinking about this? Two weeks, two months, two years, two decades before people actually step out. And these are the people that we're interviewing. And then after the audience has an opportunity to connect with that person as a human being, then we step into the scene that they're gonna do and we watch them the same as we just talked about the photography and everything else. We watch them like, like they're having this interaction with no mind to the idea that anybody's watching, but just being in their experience. And then people can see what that looks like. And then we come away and talk about what that experience was like for this same person that we were introduced to on the front side, right? So it's an entire experience, beginning, middle and end that give people who are watching an opportunity to access what is kink and BDSM uh, in not the ways that you normally think to see it, you know, like the, like the fancy dominatrix or the, the 50 shades of gray or, you know, the, the stereotypical ways that, that people have come to think about it. Yeah, it sounds like you're giving access to the full narrative um, and the full context is paramount. Uh, speaking of which, uh, there is a whole personal story, which you were mentioning is a way of humanizing um, the, the experience that people are having and bringing it sort of back around home and not just making it into all about the session and what happens in a session. Why is it so important that you have personal stories uh, in the series? Empowerment, um, confidence, making these desires common language will help remove stigma and shame from people's sexual identities, right? The things that they desire. If they can have a platform to discuss these things more openly without judgment, I'm a firm believer violence would go down, sexual assault would drop, shame and suicide would drop to where we can have a little more freedom and expression of self. If we can have that, we can have better communication. If we can have better communication, we can have better comprehension, right? And it'll just help create a society that's more accepting of self, right? I just want someone to see this video and say, wow, I'm not broken, right? If, I, if we can do that, it's worked, right? Now, if we can do that on a large scale, then we can take our mission and pay it forward. I think that the context is really important because a lot of times what, what people do to stigmatize themselves is feel like people who do that as if those people don't have a context, right? So I know me, I know what I'm afraid of, I know what I do for a living, that I know the things I'm ashamed of, I know all that. And therefore, those people don't have any of that. Therefore, I'm not like them. When you see someone and you understand that they have jobs and they have insecurities and they have places that they come from, et cetera, then, then you have to say to yourself, well, I am kind of like them and they're having that experience. So maybe I can too. It's like Are a point you, of accessibility. Uh, and definitely one where you can associate more readily with the common features that you have, as opposed to what differentiates you from the people that you are um, filming and, and narrating uh, to, uh, which is an excellent example, I think, of the people before kink mantra that you have uh, underlying most of the work. Uh, is that a large component also of this documentary series? 
the people. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Well, it has to be. I mean, because that is what we're doing. It's called People Before Kink. That's the whole point of it. There's plenty, there's plenty of places you can go out there to just see kink on film, right? Like filming kink is not at all what we're interested in doing for its sake, for its own sake. It's right. It's, it's using this as a medium for connection, right? It, and, and if for no other reason, it's who we are. It's where we come from. It's how we've connected as human beings. And so we're just going out and finding all of the other people who are just like us. And helping validate and affirm their thoughts and feelings of self. And then reach those people who haven't had that opportunity to do it yet. Right. Now, in terms of, of reach, you have one f- film that is right now in post-production and available. Uh, where are we in terms of the series? Uh, where can we expect to find it? So what we're hoping to do is one of our next steps in evolution is, is a media production company where we can not only tell our stories, but help tell the stories of others. The, the capital that's needed to get this off the ground on the scale that we want it to be at is taking some time so that we can, we can, uh, we can bring it together. We're working on a GoFundMe page uh, with my slave who is, is a writer to help put this vision into words so that we can crowdsource for the ability to get this mass produced and mass distributed, right? Um, I personally would love to have it on Amazon or Netflix because- Tomorrow, actually. <laughs> tomorrow, sure. Because the content, the content is accessible and it's not, when people see it, I, I've not taken away any negative feedback from it because of how impactful it is for the person who watched my dream, my one of our next steps is to get this mass distribution so that we can get this out there. Now, the hard part is the first episode is really intense. So it can't be episode one. <laughs> it has to come in further down the series. Um, but we are getting the trailer out there. We are going to be doing some screenings in local venues uh, and um, at an all male retreat that we're hosting so that we can show the people at this uh, kink odyssey who a lot are new that you're not the only one, right? So being able to have viewing parties and and, uh, viewings of it so that we can start getting a gauge on how people are gonna respond. And we could build out the rest of the series depending on the responses that we get. And depending on how all the technical aspects of it, you know, that we have space that we shoot in now, we hope to have more space shortly so where are we going to shoot it? Which stories and what order? All of that's being worked on as we speak. Sure, the fine tuning and the logistics are mm-hmm. most of the administrative work to getting anything off the ground. And it sounds like uh, this is a pilot then to see based on audience response where you'll evolve uh, either the format or the series um, and how you're going to tell each individual story. The, the idea for the GoFundMe is to so that we can have a media production space uh, dedicated to all formats of media production to include uh, a podcast direction that we're going as well. We want to incorporate our kink collective, People Before Kink, LMB Productions, and our own spiritual and conscious expanding journeys under one roof where we can talk about this on a very grand scale. That out sounds of, like a out lot of, of what would be, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we're, we're, we're out to change the world. 
<laughs> we'll just boil it down to those two it. things. Let's boil it down. <laughs> well, we look forward to seeing both what LNB Productions, Kink Collective, uh, People Before Kink, as well as all of your upcoming events have yet to offer. Uh, so thank you, Joshua and Kat, for joining me to talk about all of those things and more and your new media production and projects. You have your plates full for 2021. Yeah, yeah. I'm so happy that you invited us on here. Uh, it's been it's been a, a long time coming. You know, we've it's life has have has put up roadblocks. So we're greatly appreciative to be here and to have joined you. Thank you. Oh, thank you for having us. Well, it's my absolute pleasure. And if you like what you hear, join me again next time for another feature on The Sex Lab. <laughs>